We are going to start our last week, actually, we started this thing called Advent Conspiracy, and so we're going to continue with that today. We're conspiring together to say, okay, what is this season really about, and how can we learn about that so that we can live that out in greater ways? And so today I'm looking forward to sharing with you another aspect of God, preaching His Word to you so that you can see another aspect of God as we conspire to make this season about the one who came to rescue and to save every single one of us. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me today to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, that's page 57 if you want to use this Bible sitting in front of you as we are in the second book of the Bible here. As you're turning there, let me just tell you a little bit about this thing that we call Advent Conspiracy. About 10 years ago, we got together and conspired and said, what if we do something different with our Christmas season? What if instead of just spending a lot of money on ourselves, what if we said, where are some great needs and let's give to that? Because that's what God did. He said, where are some great needs and and let's meet that? And that's this Christmas story, the sending of Jesus Christ, his son, where he saw a great need, our need. And so we said, what happens if we gave of our time? What if we spent less money on ourselves? We'll still spend some money on ourselves. We'll still give each other gifts. But what if we spend less on ourselves? And what if we spend it elsewhere, in our community or around the world? And so we have done that. And through this thing called Advent Conspiracy, we have grown. Our hearts have grown. And we have given. And we have gone. And we will continue to do that. Personally, this time is for us to consider the compassion of God. To say, okay, God has been so good. He saw a need with us to consider the compassion of God toward us. And then allowing God to show that same compassion through us. This is what we've been doing for the last 10 years this season. One of the things we've done, and Bethany mentioned this earlier, was through Christmas Compassion. So over the last 10 years, we've been collecting food, and it's almost closer to 20 years. We've collected food through Christmas Compassion and and take some of our special offering that we'll take next week, and, and we put together these boxes, and we all play this part, and then we connect with people who have need, need for relationship, need for food, and we bless even in our community. We also have gone to Mexico and connected with a church that we were connected to there in the 90s. And we've, over the last 10 years, sent over 100 different people from just this group to go down there and bless and to be part of the great work they're doing. Again, if you're interested and say, you know what, maybe this is the year I go to Mexico, go ahead and write that on your connection card. Interested in going to Mexico. And then we will get in contact uh, with you about that. But we will plan to do that again in March of this next year. And then we decided to, 10 years ago, help with a clean water crisis in West Africa, specifically Sierra Leone. And we have gone there and we have since started a church and a school. This is a picture of the school when we visited last February, a picture of Pastor Patrick drinking water from the well. Heard back from him. I was telling you he wasn't feeling good last week. He's doing better, so thank you for praying for him. 
And uh, we plan to go again in February. If that interests you and said, hmm, I'd like to check out what Sierra Leone, West Africa looks like, go ahead and mark your connection card and we will tell you about that. But this is what we've done as we've taken our special offering that next Sunday we will take. Our goal is $25,000 above our regular offerings. And this church has blown me away by your faithful and generous giving, saying, wait a second. If I spend a little less on myself, one less gift card to somebody, all of a sudden we can take this money and help people get clean water and take the gospel into our community and to uh, extend borders here. And so anyway, we are going to be continue to be a part of that. Next week is the special offering. Theme for this year's Advent Conspiracy is simply these two words, knowing God. Would you write these down in your notes? Knowing God. The idea is that we want to know Him better. That's going to do something with us if we learn to know Him better. And our key passage for this is found in John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus... As he's on his way to being crucified, spent some time with his father. We have these words recorded of what Jesus was saying to his father. I'm going to ask that you read them with me, please. Ready? Begin. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is what Jesus is saying to the father. He says, this is life. This is the life of God. That people, humanity would know you. That they'd have a relationship with you. That they'd know your son whom you sent. He goes, this is life. And so our objective over the next few weeks even is to again understand more of God. Because this is truly where life is. To understand more of Jesus because this is life. So I would encourage you to consider this passage, memorize this passage, read the context of this passage so that you can get to know God in greater ways. Even if you read the last couple chapters, John 15, 16, and 17, and hear some of his last teaching and his last prayers, you'll understand more of Jesus. And this is life. Here's what happens as we get to know more about God. Knowing more about Him is going to help us to worship Him fully and then powerfully shape the way we live. Here's the idea is that we gather together on a Sunday morning or hopefully you're reading your Bible throughout the week and you're learning about God. You're getting to know Him better and that is going to shape then the way you live. You'll look at this and go, this God is amazing. And you worship him, and as you worship him, it shapes the way we live. It is really kind of foolish for you to give $25,000 away. But when you start to realize, wait a second, God has given so much more. Seriously, just some money? Just putting some food together? Just going halfway around the world? That's nothing compared to what God has done. And as you get to know him in greater ways, you will worship him fully and shape the way you live. Now, one of the ways we get to know God or get to know others is through learning our names and the stories behind those names. And so last week I shared with you a name of God and some of the story behind that. And hopefully you're learning to learn a few other names in our church and maybe you'll see their name tag. And I saw one today and said, I didn't know you're working for Boeing. And like, oh, okay, I've heard this story before. And we learn stories as we even learn about names and name tags. And, oh, you work at Safe Haven and this and that. And you, you got a 
beauty sash or something? Were you in a beauty pageant or something? But we learn about people and their stories as we even learn about their names, even their name tags. I find it interesting considering the names of sports teams. Me being a big sports freak, I like to uh, just consider these names. Where did these names come from? Imagine if you were starting a professional basketball basketball team in Oregon. What would be our nickname? Hmm, we could be, what is Oregon known for? Well, we can't use beavers or ducks. That's used. Uh, Portland's known as, uh, Oregon is known as, Ah, oh, the Oregon Trail. Let's go with the Trailblazers, the Portland Trailblazers. That'd be, that'd be a good name. I was uh, reading about this. They were thinking of going with the Portland Pioneers. That would have sounded good, but I think there's a local college up in Portland that has that name. They're like, now we've got to come up with something else. Trailblazers, that makes sense. Imagine if you're starting a basketball team, professional basketball team in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Well, what could come to mind? You're thinking, man, we, we're known for cheesesteaks, and that's probably not a good basketball team name. Mm, what about the Philadelphia 76ers? 1776 in our city, the Declaration of Independence. This would be a great sports name. That makes sense. What about the Utah Jazz? What's up with this name? All right, Utah Jazz. When I think jazz, I'm not thinking Salt Lake City, Utah. All right, why the Utah Jazz? I'm like, were these people, oh, wait a second, you learned their story. They weren't always in Utah. Guess where they came from? New Orleans. All right, that one makes sense. All right, but they transplant this team to Utah and like, eh, let's just keep the name. All right, that one makes sense. Or when I was a kid, I had a favorite basketball team. Don't hate me for this, but I loved those last Los Angeles Lakers. All right. I know, I know, I know. It's one of the few times you can boo me without me taking offense, all right? Why? When I think going out on a lake and what, jet skiing or fishing, I'm not thinking Los Angeles. What's up with that name? Then you think of the story and you're like, oh, wait a second. They came from Minneapolis, Minnesota, the land of... 10,000 lakes. Oh, that seems to make sense. So anyway, there's great stories behind names. There are great stories behind your names, and there are great stories behind the names of God. And so thus, we've been going with Name Tag November to get to know some of those stories. Last week, I shared with you from Genesis chapter 16, quick review, one of the names of God, a story of Abraham and Sarah. God has promised Abraham, and he said, you are going to bless the nations through your children and grandchildren, through your line, Abraham. And Abraham's like, great, but there's a problem. I have no kids. And I'm old and my wife is old. There's a massive problem, God. And God says, no, it's going to work out. And Abraham and Sarah, they didn't know how this was going to work out. And so Sarah and Abraham hatch a plan. Abraham, why don't you go hang out with Hagar, our maidservant. Maybe you start a family through her. And, And so they tried that. And then Just chaos ensued, and Sarah gets mad at Hagar, and there's bad relationships and all of this. And let me just uh, read along with me some of where we were last Sunday. Sarah then dealt harshly with Hagar, and Hagar fled from her. She left and was like, man, Sarah's mad at me. I just got to leave town here. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Keep that in mind for a little later. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing 
from my mistress Sarah. Let's keep reading. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Goes on to say that so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. This is Hagar. She's alone in a wilderness. She's pregnant. She's miserable. No one sees my troubles until God says, Actually, I see you. And I'm concerned for you. And I care for you. And she says, You know what? This is part of God's identity. He is the God who sees. He is the God who sees. If she was making a name tag for God, it would be like this. Hello, my name is the God who sees. Or in Hebrew, El Roi. And she said, this God is the God who sees even me. I mean, I thought I was in a wilderness where nobody saw me. But this is this God, El Roi, God seen. She says, God, here's your name tag. I made one for you. This is you. You are the God who sees. I want you to know this. God sees you and he sees me. And this is more than just a massive ability because he's God. And he's like, I know, I see it all. It's more than that. It's that he actually has compassion on you and he sees where you're at. He knows your story. He sees your hurt. He says, I see that. I'm with you in this. I see everybody, but I want you to know I specifically see you because you matter to me. My heart goes out to you. I see you in your hurt. I see you in your distress. And for us, one of the first steps in becoming compassionate people, as we will talk about over the coming weeks, is that we have to be able to see I don't know if you tried this this last week. If not, do it this week. But as you go to work, as you walk in your neighborhood, as you go to school, open your eyes. I know we just want to go to the grocery store, get our thing, and get out. We just want to drive home, get into the garage, and close the door behind us. But we are called to be people who see, to look around, look people in the eye, get to know their name. It's really a first step in feeling some of their pain so that we could ultimately have compassion on them. Well, enough for our review from last week. Let's go to Exodus chapter 15, page 57. I want to show you another name of God today. I want to show you another aspect of God so that you can say, wow, that's the God that I worship. That's the God I give my life to. As we get to Hebrews chapter 15, let me just tell you where we've been here in this story. The Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God had raised up a man named Moses, and he said, Moses, you're going to go and you're going to free this nation. And Moses is like, man, I have a problem speaking, and I, I stutter, and I'm insecure. And God says, you're just the perfect person, man, just, just a weakling who's going to trust me, and we're going to rescue this nation. And so God does. He brings them out of Egypt. There's this great event called the Passover, Exodus chapter 12. If you're looking for some good reading this week, Exodus chapter 12, before this part we're going to read today. 
about this Passover. It's really a foreshadow of Jesus, a picture of what's coming with Jesus. Then they crossed the Red Sea miraculously. That's in chapter 14. You can read that story if you want. And then we get to chapter 15, and these people are rescued and safe. They are rescued, and they break out into singing. They're just like, woohoo! God has rescued us. He, the, our enemies have been crushed after all these years of slavery. Woo, we're free. We're rescued. God is good. They're dancing. They're singing. Uh, seriously, if I had a little background music, I'd probably dance up here right now. So you don't want that. But that's what they were doing when we get to Exodus chapter 15, specifically verse 22. Follow along if you would. Because they are rescued and they're singing. And then, verse 22, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Hmm. Similar region, 600 years after the story we looked at last week. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Put yourself in that story if you would. Wilderness, three days, no water. I'm thirsty just thinking of that. Verse 23, when they came to Marah, that's the name they gave it, they could not drink the water. They found some, but they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named that, Marah, or bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? We have been rescued. We are all excited. But now we've been three days in the middle of nowhere. The only drinking is infected. It's dirty. It's no good. No clean water. What are we going to do, Moses? And they started to complain and grumble against him. Which... Cause me to ask this question of us today. What do you typically do when you find yourself in a desert wilderness? Now, not necessarily a place like Arizona where there'd be a cactus, but just in your own life with the own, your own dryness of soul, what do you typically do in a wilderness when you're not getting what you need or what you want or you're not experiencing what you thought you would experience? What do you do? When you find yourself in a desert, what do you do when your car or your appliance breaks down? What do you do when your kids melt down? Those seem like big things when they happen, but there are bigger things in life, certainly. Maybe you're in one of those wildernesses right now, and you're saying, oh man, I wish it was just a car or an appliance issue, but I've got a massive health issue or a relational issue. Or a financial issue? Or is there a box for all of the above? What do you do when you find yourself in a desert wilderness? Maybe you're saying things like, how did I get here? What am I going to do? They, the Israelites, they grumbled at Moses, their leader. What do you and I typically do? I had to answer that question myself and I said, I typically grumble against God. I'm like, come on, really? I, do I need my furnace to break down or my car to break down? Or I do, do, really, God? Sometimes it's not even as big as that. I mean, I could be at a restaurant and it's like, they're not refilling my drink fast enough. Really? 
What's the service around here is terrible. Or when I pull up to Dutch Brothers, and I'm thinking, I'm going in for a quick coffee at Dutch Brothers, and I end up behind a minivan full of eight people. <laughs> You've been there, right? And you're like, really? Why do I have to get behind that vehicle? What do you do when you find yourself in a situation like that? As I was thinking about it, I thought, you know what? God brings us through the wilderness. He brings us through these tough times to teach us about himself. Would you write this down and consider this with me? That God brings us through the wilderness to teach us more about himself, about his character, his love, his faithfulness. Because God knows this, that knowing God is where life is. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you. That they know your son whom you sent. God says, I'm bringing you through a wilderness because I want you to know more about me. Maybe you've heard that, yeah, I'm the God who sees, but I've got more characteristics to me. i got more to me that you need to know. Go to verse 25, if you would. It says, And Moses cried to the Lord, as any good leader would who has a million people screaming at him. Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. Like, seriously, Lord? (laughs) I'm crying to you for an answer, and you give me a piece of wood? Uh, It seems weird. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. I'm thinking, hmm, God seems to usually bring healing through pieces of wood and trees, right? But there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, underline some of these verbs, if you would, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Now earlier in this story, if you would have read a few chapters before, you would have read that the Egyptians did not listen to God. They did not give ear to his commandments. They did not keep his statutes. They hardened their hearts to God. And they said, we don't think your God is the real God. We're not going to listen to him. God said, okay, well, here's the consequence for having other gods before me. And God had wanted the Israelites to know him, to know his voice, to know his laws, ultimately to know his heart. God had punished Egypt, but he was revealing a new name that day, the Lord your healer. As if God were making out his own name tag, he'd say, okay, everyone, catch this. My name is the Lord your healer. Or if we were looking at this in Hebrew, we'd say Yahweh Rapha. He said, I want you to know that I am the Lord your healer. Now, when you see this in your Bible and you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, because the other letters aren't capitalized, when you see these four capitalized, it's not a title like Lord or Master. It's a specific name. It's these four Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H, where we've turned that into Yahweh or Jehovah. And he says, here's my name. I am the self-existing one. The self-existing one is your healer. Here you are in the desert. I'm going to heal. 
I'm going to heal. I'm going to make this water sweet, and you are going to live. Yes, I'm the God who sees you. Yes, I've rescued you. But I am also the God who heals you. And God wanted the Israelites to know this, to know his voice, to know his laws, his heart, and to know his power to heal. This is what God wants you and I to know. He says, you know a lot of things about me, but I want you to know that I have the power to heal. I am your greatest healer. That's who I am. Now, when you and I think of healing, we typically think of physical healing. And that word is used for physical healing throughout the Bible. I put a few references in your notes. Look up some of these verses and stories this next week. In 2 Kings chapter 20, there's a man named Hezekiah. He's the king. He's told he's going to die. He cries out to God, and God says, I will refah you. I will physically heal you. You're going to live through this disease. Sometimes it's physical healing. There's a lady in Luke chapter 8. She has had a bleeding problem for 12 years. She can't find healing anywhere else till she comes up to Jesus. She believes he is the one who can save. She touches his garment and she is healed. This same kind of rafah. But it also refers to greater healing. It's not just physical healing. It's not just, God, I have a little boo-boo on my finger. Will you heal it? It's not even God, will you heal this cancer? Because sometimes he doesn't. It's a deeper healing. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, they've built this temple and God says, hey, wonderful temple. Here's what I want you to know though. When you sin against me, and you will, all right? When you sin, if my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and confess their sins and turn from their wicked ways, if you will do that, I want you to know this about me. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive your sins, and I will refah your land. I will heal your land. It's more than just, I'm going to fix your little boo-boo, but I'm a God who brings healing over sin. The sin you commit against others, the ones that others commit against you, the ones ultimately that you're committing against God. He says, I am the one who brings healing. Psalm 41 has a great passage in there as well. The psalmist says, God, have mercy on me. Rafah me, for I have sinned. It wasn't about Rafah my toe that hurts. It's bring healing to me because I have sinned. And God this day in the wilderness in Exodus is saying, this is my name. Hello. My name is Yahweh Rafah, the God the Lord, your healer. You see, when you and I get sick, maybe some of the first things we think is medicine. Headache, run to the counter, grab some Advil, whatever. And sometimes the medicine helps. If it gets worse than that, then we call. Maybe it's calling the doctor or 911 or urgent care or whatever it is. And then we go there and we get some healing sometimes. But when we are mortally sick, sick because of our sin, we need the one whose name is actually healer, the Lord your healer, Yahweh Rapha. And his spiritual healing, it's guaranteed. 
It's guaranteed it's complete. It's not, hmm, this might work. No, it's guaranteed and it's complete. When we were mortally sick with sin, okay, when we were mortally sick with sin, healing came in the person of Jesus Christ. And don't forget that this is the Christmas story. We're going to get all caught up in this before long. You're going to put up some trees and some lights and you think this is the Christmas story and a cute little baby. The baby came because you and I were mortally sick. We had this disease of sin. We couldn't fix it ourselves. And God said, okay, I'm going to send the cure. It's my son, Jesus. Because I am the healer, I'm bringing my son who's going to bring healing. This is more than a cute little baby born with some animals around there. It's because you and I were sick to the point that we could not heal ourselves. And then now, as ones, we get wounded in life by one another. Sometimes we wound ourselves with the sin choices we make. And there is healing and there is forgiveness available through Jesus. Because God is your healer. Consider with me a prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 53. Write this passage down. Do yourself a favor and read this chapter because this is actually paving the way to the Christmas story. But it says of Jesus, speaking of the coming Messiah, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are Rapha. We are healed. You see, he's the one who's going to, the the prophet said, he's the one who's going to bring complete healing, guaranteed healing to you and I. This Jesus whose birth we celebrate in a month and a half. Now God has revealed to us, sometimes in a wilderness, ultimately through the death of his son, that he's the eternal healer. That healing comes at his expense. He said, okay, they're my people. The only way to heal them completely is through my son. And he does. Well, after three days of suffering and praying and finding the water to be nice, this one source, go with me to verse 27. Let me read one more verse to you. It says, Then they came to Elam, where there were Twelve springs of water. Oh, this is good. Twelve springs and 70 palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. As I'm looking at this, I'm like, you know what? God doesn't just bring us to the wilderness and test us, but he brings us to the wilderness and through the wilderness and to places of refreshment and rest. They were like, look at the springs. Look at the trees. Oh, this is good. Now, those last few days were rough. But in that tough time in the wilderness, we learned something about God, that he is our healer. And he brings us to good places. Certainly, they would have to learn that lesson over and over. That, And in the next wilderness, he's the healer. But he brings refreshment. He brings rest. Throughout the Bible, we read passages like this. They say, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the living waters. 
Not physical thirst, but you got a spiritual thirst in your soul. You're trying to find it by buying more toys. Listen, you got a thirst. You need to come to the spring of living water. As as a deer would pant for water, so my soul, the psalmist says, pants for you, O God. Jesus said this, everyone who drinks this water, just talking to somebody one day and says, everyone who drinks this water, they're going to thirst again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give, oh, your thirst will be quenched forever. And as God brings us through the wilderness, he teaches us more about himself. That day in Exodus, he taught them, yeah, I'm the God who heals. As you're going through a wilderness right now, or if not, you're going through one this next week and you don't even know about it, I want you to know God says, I'm going to bring you through that and teach you things about me because if you know me, that is life. And I want you to know that I am the God who heals. And ultimately, I'm leading you to a place of rest and refreshment. Ultimately, I'm going to lead you to a place of my presence for all eternity. I'm not sure where you're at in this journey. You're like, man, I just got out of a wilderness, and right now just, woo, there are springs and palm trees, and it's good. I'm just going to tell you, that's not the end. There will be more dry wildernesses ahead. But there will be a day where there will be the presence of God, and there will be rest and refreshment, and it'll be like, woo. But until then, God's going to keep teaching us over and over, my name is the Lord, your healer. Let me ask you three questions, three questions to consider as we close up today. The first one is this, where do I need healing today? Where do I need healing? Because the reality is every one of us needs some healing from God. Maybe from a broken world, life wearing you down, sins of somebody else, your own sins. Tuesday, this past Tuesday, I was with a group of people, and we were worshiping and praying, other church leaders, and, and they said, let me give you an assignment, every one of you. I want you to write down, where are you in distress? Or a similar question is, where do I need healing today? And I wrote it down, okay, this is my distress in my life. I'm like, I can write that down, I I started to see, yeah, this is where my soul is, my heart, my mind, my body, my thoughts, my actions. Okay, this is where I'm in distress and need some healing. But then there was a second question, and I want to share with you, is will I allow God to bring healing to me? Will I allow God to bring healing to me? Because it's like, okay, I've got these problems, but now what am I going to do with them? Just medicate them, just numb them, run away from them, try to watch my favorite football team lose again. You know, what am I going to do, or will I allow God to bring healing to me? And the people said last Tuesday, they said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to write down one area where you have distress, and then you're going to share it with somebody next to you in a real quiet room. I don't know why, but I blurted out, no. Somebody next to me is like, no, you're not supposed to answer that way. And certainly not with that response. But my my gut just like, I have distress, but I just don't want anybody else to know about it. I'm not telling anybody else. I just, ah, I can do this on my own. I'm tough. I'll make it. 
But the question was, will I allow God to bring healing to me? And it takes humility to admit your need. It takes humility to acknowledge that you cannot fix yourself. It takes recognition that God is your healer. And sometimes his healing comes through brothers and sisters. And so before long, they put us into groups. And somebody shared their distress, and we prayed for them. And somebody else, and they, we prayed for them. And somebody else, we prayed for them. And I was like, I think we're running out of time. They're like, oh, no, you share some of your distress. Okay. I did. They prayed for me. Honestly, the next day I was sick physically. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, man, what's going on? But there was some soul healing going on. God said, I want you to know this, Scott. You need healing. Like constantly you need healing. And are you going to allow God and his body to bring healing to you? That was good for me. But let me ask one other question for you, and it's this. Will I allow God to bring healing through me? You see, God doesn't heal you just so that you can, woo, live for yourself. God doesn't bless you to hoard the blessing. No, he says, I'm blessing you to bring blessing to others. God doesn't change you to just live selfishly, but to help bring change. God does not love you to hoard that blessing, but to show love to others. Will you now allow others to be healed through you? Will you talk to people? Will you help point them to Jesus? Will you try to meet a need? Will you pray for them? Where do you need healing today? Will you allow God to bring it to you? And will you allow God to bring healing through you? Here's how we're going to finish today. And we're going to do something we typically don't do. But as I was reflecting on this, it was just like, I need to do this. And I think we all do. I'm going to ask you, in just a minute, the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a couple songs. But if you can realize where you need healing, I'm just going to ask you to come up here today and kneel. This room could be a little crowded here up front, but go ahead and do it. To come up and say, you know what, I need healing. And I'm just going to ask you to pray up here. I'm going to ask you to make it kind of crowded and awkward up here. And just say, God, by coming up, I'm simply just saying I need some healing in my life. It may be physical healing. It may be relational. It may be financial. It may be a dry spirit. It may be all of the above. But I'm just going to ask you to come up here while the worship team plays over us and just say, God, it's just a picture of I need healing. Then I'd even ask that you do this as you pray, as you meet with God here. And it could be quick or first service. I stayed up here the whole time, frankly. I'm just going to ask that you put your hand on somebody next to you. Just as a simple way of saying, you know what? I, I want God to heal you as well. Just as a way of saying, you know what? God is going to bring healing to me, but he's also going to bring healing through me. So we typically don't do this. You just sit there. We sing a song. You leave. But I'm going to ask you to do something different with me today, that we would just flood this stage and say, God, I need your healing. Because his name is the Lord, your healer. Bow your head with me. Let's reflect for a moment before we come up.
if you would reflect on where you need healing. Maybe it's your grumbling and complaining because, well, you're in a wilderness. And God wants to tell you something about himself and you just want your way. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've just made poor choices. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's you, a loved one. But if you could, you'd, you'd cry like these people did. And you'd cry like Moses and say, God, heal. Unless you heal, I'm, I'm broken. I'm miserable. I, I'm stuck in this. And God today says, I am the Lord, your healer. And I came to heal your greatest need. And I know that many of you have found that healing before. You have found the forgiveness of sins. But you still are hurt over something or someone. Heavenly Father, as we come to the front this morning, we thank you that this is part of your identity. This is part of who you are. And that you revealed that. You didn't just heal and walk away, but you said, let me tell you more of who I am. I am the Lord, your healer. And Father, I thank you that because of that, you sent your son and you brought an amazing, unchanging healing to us once for all. But while we walk this life until we are fully into your presence, we are going to be in a wilderness over and over and over again. And even today, as we consider our need for healing, reveal more of yourself to us today. That we would experience your healing. That your children would walk away saying, yes, the Lord is my healer. So meet us here in a special way this morning. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Join you to come up, talk to the Lord on the stage up here with me, please.